This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. one game we built on it uh we'll analyze it tonight and tomorrow but uh you know we just got to build on it you know we got one now let's go to two um i know we play cincinnati next week uh and we look forward to the challenge and a big challenge it will be a big game it's not too early in the season in the game number six division games are in general just like two weeks ago against baltimore but now that we're into the sixth week Cincinnati, with a victory over the Steelers, could open up a significant margin in terms of winning the division, which, of course, is the best and easiest way to get into the playoffs. So it is a big game. The question is what they did against Atlanta Sunday. Is that transferable to this Sunday? Things change from week to week. Welcome to Saverin on Sports. Here's the things we're going to be talking about. The Cincinnati game, quite obviously. A couple things. Ben to A.B. for a couple of touchdowns Sunday. Does that mean they are back? Does that mean that they're back to what they have done for a number of years now? That was one game. They've not been as effective. One half, really, because Ben targeted A.B. eight times in the first half, hit on only two. And there was a stat that I tweeted out yesterday from someone from Pro Football Focus that of Passing combinations in the entire NFL, quarterback to wide receiver, how many of them are drops? How many of them are just good defensive plays? But how many are the fault of the quarterback for making a bad throw? The Ben to A-B combination, number one in the NFL in terms of the quarterback not making good throws. We've seen a number of those. Now, there is some conversation concerning that about, well, how does pro football focus know that he ran the right route? We don't. There was at least one occasion, uh, was that, the, I believe, the Tampa game, when they, they, in the second half, when they did not connect, and Ben, which he later apologized for, kind of pointed out that A.B. had run the wrong route. So, I mean, that figures into that. But I thought it was, I retweeted that yesterday, uh, and I thought that was revealing. And it's not to point a finger at Ben. I don't think he's been as accurate this year as he has in the past, and especially when it comes to Antonio Brown. You know, just staying on that same vein, I saw a number of people suggest that the interception at the end of the first half, ill-advised, if you look up ill-advised in the dictionary, there will be video of that throw that Ben made Sunday at the end of the first half as a descriptive term, descriptive video. But someone said, well, he was trying to throw the ball away, but he just didn't get enough oomph on it. Uh, His statements, Ben's statements, I think contrarily disprove that because afterward Ben said, that anytime I have a chance or I see my guy going one-on-one, I'll take my chance with him. That would indicate he was trying to get the ball to him. The problem was it wasn't one-on-one. As good as A.B. is in those situations, he was totally covered, and it was a bad throw. So the notion that, well, he was trying to throw it away, 
but he got hit as he threw or didn't get enough arm on into it or whatever, that would not jive uh, with what he said after the game where he said, anytime I have a chance to go get my guy one-on-one, then I'm going to do exactly that. The Philadelphia Eagles lost Jay Ajayi. You know, you talk about the Steelers having problems. Here are the defensive, or defending, excuse me, defending NFL champions. They're two and three. And some might point, well, they were out there starting quarterback. Well, he's back now. And they have problems. And now they've lost Jay Ajayi. I mean, they were kind of running a 1A and 1B running back circumstance. But now they've lost a Jai, which what is believed to be an ACL. That's the end of the season. And I just began to think, I began to wonder, and I don't know, we, we know that the Steelers were talking trade with some teams before the ESPN report by Jeremy Fowler, who was our guest on the show last week, before... all that stuff about, well, he'll report next Monday or next week anyway, that they were shopping him. Well, here are the Eagles. They're down a running back, a primary running back. Might they be in the market for Le'Veon Bell? Now, Danny posted on Facebook, I don't think anybody is taking Lev Bell for $15 million a year in five years. He has yet to prove he can play a full season and not get suspended. Um... He played a full season last year, although the first couple of games weren't much because of his inactivity. But I think we're talking now not about his long-term contract. That will come after this year is over, presumably. It has nothing to do with this year because if you trade Le'Veon Bell, I just want to make sure everybody understands this, if you trade Le'Veon Bell, and the deadline is coming up fairly shortly, if you trade Le'Veon Bell, the team you trade him to cannot negotiate a long-term contract, not until next March. Now, do things go on illegally? Do they go on under the surface? Yeah, I'm sure. But the letter of the law dictates that you cannot sign Bell to a long-term contract. So if they, let's say they were to trade him to the Eagles, they get what they get. That does not guarantee that the Eagles then sign him to a long-term contract. They can't. So this would be an independent transaction. If the the Eagles or any team were to trade for Le'Veon Bell, it would be for this season and this season only. Now, as far as the cost is concerned, Danny says, I don't think anybody, as I mentioned, uh, $15 million a year. Um, Forget it. The five-year deal, that's not on the table. Right now, Le'Veon Bell, you'd owe him about $9 million, but he's not going to show up this week. If he shows up for the bye week, you can then, by the way, the bye week would not count against his roster exemption. If you wanted to, you could exempt him for two more weeks, which would knock off a million and a half off his salary. The point is, if you were to trade Le'Veon Bell, he would need some time to get ready, the chances are you would only have to, I say only, only have to pay him 7 to $8 million this year because he's already burned up five weeks at 850 That's four mil off the 14.5. So he's already down to 10. He's not going to be there this week. So now that's six games. That's $4.8 million, right? 
So now he's under 10. And then if he reports in the bye week, that doesn't count. He can't use that to accrue what he needs to accrue. And maybe the Steelers would think, you know, one full week of practice getting ready for Cleveland, maybe they say, you know what, not that we disrespect Cleveland, they shouldn't, but we want to give him another week of practice. So you put him on the roster exempting list. That's another eight hundred and fifty grand. Not only you save, but it lessens the cost. And all the while, remember that Le'Veon Bell has to sign his franchise tender, or he can't even practice. He can't even show up. Can't get paid. Once he does that, you clear the way to trade him. And remember, they were talking to teams. I mean, there are a lot of reports nationally, locally, that the Steelers were initially maybe entertaining some calls, but apparently if the reports are true, we don't know, that they were actually out there soliciting offers, finding out any interest. There were some reports that the Eagles were not interested, but that was before Jay Ajay got hurt. Season goes on, people get hurt. Maybe they're in the market. And at that point, teams have a greater need and are willing to pony up more if they think that there's something to salvage the season. If you're a football team, let's say you're the Raiders, and you're one and four. There's no sense. Yeah, does Le'Veon Bell make you better? Yeah, it would make any team better. But you know he's leaving. You know there are some issues with him. You can find running backs. You have to pay him eight hundred and fifty grand a year if you're not going anywhere anyway. Now again, you cannot sign him on a long-term contract. And I just bring up the Eagles because they're just an example of a team that is in need of a top running back, and they still think, as they should, they still think that they've got an opportunity to do something this year. And when you look, just for an example. When you look at the division they're in, why not? Dallas, the Giants, the Redskins, get a load of them last night? I mean, the Eagles, you you certainly can't rule them out in the NFC East. It would make some sense. Plus, you send them to the other conference, at least for this year. But again, that wouldn't mean anything for long term. A couple other things we're going to be talking about today. Want to get your thoughts on all these things. We've seen this before, but especially on Sunday, Julio Jones, arguably the best wide receiver in the league. I suppose it depends where you live and who you watch. He's top three anyway. And the thing I like about Julio Jones, or one of the things, he's not like Odell Beckham Jr. Every week with him, you talk about here, and we got another drama thing coming up here, too, with Antonio Brown. But Julio Jones is a great player. He's part of a great receiving core with a very good quarterback. Joe Hayden took him out of the game. Don't even look at his game-ending stats, meaningless. 
because that came at garbage time when it didn't matter anymore. So the question is, especially with this week, will Joe Hayden, I remember last year this came up, Hayden, of course, was hurt for five weeks with a broken leg, but I remember this conversation going on about Joe Hayden shadowing A.J. Green. And he certainly is in that class along with Julio Jones. Maybe not as good, but not far behind. Do you do that again? And then maybe you ask the question, should you do that every week? Is Joe Hayden that good a cover guy? You just say, okay, we're going to put him on their best guy every single week. I can certainly see doing it this week against A.J. Green. I would not do it necessarily every week because, remember, it's not a panacea. It doesn't cure all your ills because what you're doing then, if you've got a good support wide receiver, and this worked last Sunday because they had Ridley and they got Sanu and A.J. Green has Tyler Boyd. He's more of a possession guy. I mean, he won't hurt you deep like Ridley will, but he's a guy who can hurt you. Now you're relying on the other corner to go with him man-to-man. That's, that's what you do. There is a filter-down effect. Pick your poison. A.J. Green is a much bigger poison than Tyler Boyd. But, for example, the game after the bye when they play Cleveland, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Jarvis Landry. And he was the leading receiver in the NFL last year with Miami, statistically. But I don't know that I would necessarily automatically say for a game against Cleveland, let's say, or maybe even anybody Baltimore has, okay, Joe, that's your man. I mean, I think, again, when you have a shadow, you're asking Joe Hayden to play both sides, left and right. Not that he can't handle that, but let's remember, let's say, if Artie Burns or Sensabaugh is used to playing right, now they have to move over to the left. Maybe uncomfortable for him. What I'm saying is, Hayden on your best receiver makes a lot of sense, but I also think it makes a difference who this top receiver is. I think Jar- Jarvis Landry is very good. But by the same token, what other receivers do, again, talking two weeks from now, what other receivers do the Browns have that really scare you? Antonio Callaway? He may be hurting out of that game anyway. Now, Neil says on Hayden, that seems like a no-brainer to me. Why would you want Artie or Sensabaugh handling that chore? Then again, he criticizes Tomlin and Butler. Again, there are consequences. I think it, again, depends on the receiver. I would do it this week for sure against a lesser group, not just a singular receiver, but a lesser group, I would think twice. I would mix it up. I would mix it up. Especially if you're getting a decent pass rush. A.B., Antonio Brown, maybe, A.B., maybe, in some trouble, and does that answer some longer-term questions about Antonio Brown's, shall we say, sullen behavior? 
Ray Fittipaldo covers the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ray joins me next. Saverin on Sports on your home of the Steelers, ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Ben wants to air it out. There's a man open. It is caught. That's a touchdown. That's Antonio Brown at his best from 47 yards out. Alford looks at him and said, where'd you come from? We always on the same page. We always positive. We never listen to what the media say. We know we got to stay together regardless of what's being said. All of my touchdowns, all of my catches is from him. And that's my guy. I live and die with him. And, uh, the Wi-Fi was lit. Well, A.B. talking like the media is somehow trying to drive a wedge between him and Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I'm not going to try to explain that attitude or behavior. There's no explanation for it. Uh, the facts are the facts. We're joined now by Ray Fittipaldo. He covers the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, Ray, the, the A-B-Ben connection clicked for two TDs, although it was a second-half phenomenon, largely eight targets, two uh, completions in the first half. Um, and I tweeted something out that Pro Football Focus uh, put out yesterday. Maybe you saw it, that, you know, of the, the misconnections between the two, 12 or, excuse me, no, 21 were because of bad throws by the quarterback. Um, as you look at their... Lack of connectivity, if you will, uh, is that the pri- primary reason? Well, it would seem that would be the case, Dan. And uh, Ben actually said on his radio show today that uh, he was sort of babying the elbow issue that has been going on since uh, he heard it late in the Cleveland game. And he basically said he came out after halftime and said, "I'm going to suck it up. Uh, I'm going to deal with the pain, and um, you know, I'm going to start making the throws I have, I have for me." So. That was actually the first time that I, I, I've heard him since the opener say that the elbow was an issue. So, at the very least, now at least we know that there is an issue in baseball, and he's trying to work through it. And I would imagine, um, you know, after the Cincinnati game on Sunday, they got the bye week. It seems like for Ben, it's coming at a good time. Yeah, I remember, of course, that hit in Cleveland, and he was flexing it. He was wearing an elbow sleeve, and it was a you know topic of conversation. Uh, that is the first time that he mentioned it's actually you know bothering him. Um, do you think that he has been guilty of forcing the ball to A B either A because of familiarity or B because we know Antonio Brown and he's just trying to keep him happy, maybe to the team's detriment. Yeah, I mean, that's where at the end of the first half, uh, first half was just uh, one of the worst of decisions I've, I've ever seen him make. And uh, I know he tried to rationalize it afterwards, but that, you got to get points in that situation. You were still only up three at that point, and they needed to, um, they needed to score points on that possession. Um, I get it. He's the best in the world, and you have to try to get him touches, but they got to find other ways to, to get people involved if, if he's double and triple coverage, Dan. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster has been really good. But I don't think it's been talked about enough. Um, James Washington is almost non-existent in this offense right now. They drafted him to replace Martavis Bryant, and through the first uh, five games of the season, he just hasn't been very productive at all. And I think deep down, they've had a lot of issues, you know, with Ben and the A.B. and the connection, but... I think that third receiver issue, um, I don't think this offense can totally click until they get that result. 
Uh, I totally agree with you. Um, a third weapon is absolutely critical. Uh, you know, Vance McDonald would qualify. Um, Le'Veon Bell would qualify in a different respect. But I totally agree that that third receiver, down the field receiver, um, is critical. And you're right, and they have not gotten anything out of that guy. And I don't know if it's because he's a rookie. Um, you saw him. He had a good training camp, and he had a good preseason, right? No, he was very good in training camp. And I'm not saying this is all on, on James Washington. I mean, it, I, I don't know how many times he's been targeted. Uh, if it's more than two a game, um, I'd be surprised. So um, it just doesn't seem like Ben's looking for him all that much. I think there was one down the field to him in this past game. Uh, it was just off the mark, and uh, he couldn't make the catch. So, um and Marquise Bryant, even when he wasn't right stand and even when he was a big distraction, his ability to run down the field and to attract safeties was a big reason that Juju and Antonio Brown were so effective last season. And it just doesn't seem like James Washington um, is at that point yet. Um, anytime he's being covered, he's being single covered. And if they're not making plays for him, um, that means that there's going to be double coverage. Um, there's going to be help uh, in other places, and that means Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Harris. So, um, yeah, they need to get that figured out. Um, I'm not sure what's going on there, but you know, maybe after the Cincinnati game, they can sit down and take a look at their operation and see if they can figure out the second half of the season. Yeah, I'm anxious to see what well, we don't know if Darius Hayward Bay is going to dress. I I don't think he's much of an answer, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, Justin Hunter is a guy that, you know, can get deep. And, you know, maybe he gets another try, although he's been given opportunities. And he just never seems to have any kind of an impact. No, he dressed on Sunday, and I think he played a handful of snaps, uh, maybe two or three. And they just didn't seem all that interested in, in getting him involved and. He's another one of these guys who did very well in training camp. Um, ben was very vocal about how much how much he liked him in training camp. Um, just for whatever reason, ever since Lions Switzer um, has arrived, and you know, it seems like they've gone away from Justin Hunter and James Washington, and they've kind of been happy just to you know for AB Juju and the tight end to, to sort of get the touches. Uh, I think that's got to change if, if we're going to be a playoff contender, and um, you know, wouldn't be a bad place. Uh, it happen if it happened in Cincinnati this Undoubtedly, a big, biggest game of the year, and uh, no question about that, especially given the start that they had. Uh, this next thing about Antonio Brown, everybody by now is aware that a uh, lawsuit has been filed against him, uh, allegedly um, either did or almost injured a, a, a toddler. Uh, apparently happened, allegedly happened in Miami. And I, you know, I'm Tomlin was asked about it today. He said nothing about it. Uh, I don't know anything about it other than what I read. The only reason I ask, Ray, is that Antonio Brown, um, I don't know if sullen is the right word, uh, combative with the media, uh, seems to think uh, that, you know, everybody's against him. And this incident allegedly happened two months ago, and I'm just wondering if – this hasn't been on the back of his mind. I mean, you know, he's normally pretty outgoing, you know, that sort of thing. And even when he, you know, does something stupid like the Facebook post, he, uh, you know, he mans up on that kind of thing. But, he, you know, calling, uh, you know, your colleague, uh, colleague Ed Bouchette a racist and, you know, blaming everything on the media when he shows up in a helicopter. Um, I mean, is it possible that this thing's been weighing on his mind? I think that it's possible. Um, 
you know, I think it's, it's, it's probably pertinent to, to point out that all of the things that AB has done over the years, he's never really been in trouble with the law. And even this lawsuit, Stan, it's a civil lawsuit. I, I wouldn't expect um, the NFL to get involved in, in a civil suit. Um, I might be wrong about There might be an instance in the past where they've you know, made it off discipline for, for a civil suit, but I don't think so. Um, but that, I think the bigger issue is, you know, this suit was filed in August, but this happened back in April, and I think it's important to note, you know, that sort of, um, uh, you know, breakdown he had in front of the media during minicamp was only a month or two after that happened. And, you know, he was, it was a very strange situation. He was talking about the media and how they wouldn't leave him alone and, uh, you know, with his personal life. So, you know, maybe, maybe that incident back in April did have something to do with that. Um, but, you know, we'll have to let this is how it plays out. The police decided not to, to, to press any charges at that point, and, you know, the owner of the building took it up uh, in civil court, and, you know, we'll see how AB responds. Apparently, he has until Thursday to, to, to make it known how he's going to respond to this, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. Ray Fittipaldo, the PG, is our guest. Uh, Ray, what do you think, who knows, is going to happen Um Operating under the assumption that Antonio Brown, excuse me, Le'Veon, I'm, I'm mixing the two up now, Le'Veon Bell reports as reported uh, next week. How do you think the Steelers play that out? Boy, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, I don't get the feeling being in that locker room that he's someone that they're going to welcome back with open arms, but I, I think they also realize that they might not have a choice in the matter if the Steelers aren't able to trade him. And, you know, for the for, for the better good of the team, um, they might have to accept him back and, you know, sort of, um, you know, get him back in, in, into, into the team. So um, I think a lot of people in the locker room are disappointed in the way this was handled, um, really from training camp on. Um, I think it could be something that they could work through if they win this game in Cincinnati. But Stan, if, if you lose this game in Cincinnati and you're three games down in the win column after six games, it's going to be really hard to get back into this playoff race. And if they're not in the playoff race and they got this whole Delphi to deal with, I could see this becoming a problem here in the second half of the season. Undoubtedly. Let me, let me ask you this, um, and this is all speculative, and it's you know probably pretty easy, and maybe I'm adding up one and one uh, and, and getting three. There were reports that the Steelers were shopping him around. Before this report surfaced that he was planning on reporting next week after the, the bye week, um, and, and the reports indicated that, you know, they were actually making calls. Um, now we find out that Jay Ajayi is probably lost to the season, for the season, to the Eagles. Um, I'm wondering if you think that that is a trade opportunity. Even with him coming back and the specter of having a two-headed monster, if you will, kind of like Crosby and Malkin, you'd have Connor and Bell, um, do you think the Steelers now, if he does come back, are committed to keeping him? Or, and I'm informed here that the Eagles have two number twos next year, um, do you think the Steelers would deal him if they like the return? Or are they all in on the, the combination of Bell and Connor? I think it, it might depend on what happens this, this weekend, Stan. Um, but I, th- I think they might be open to, to trading him. You know, we all know that they're only going to get a uh, third-round compensatory pick for him. In 2020, if he does leave after the season, so if you can improve that, if you can get a second round pick, 
for him now, they might be willing to do that. Um, I, I think James Conner's been good. I think you can win with James Conner, um, and I don't think they would be close to that to that idea. Let me uh, bring up one other team while we're at it. I, I know the Eagles have a need there, too. But if you look at what's going on in Green Bay, um, a little bit of dissension there. There's reports that maybe McCarthy and Rodgers can't coexist beyond the season. If they're looking for a spark in the second half of the season, they have a lot of running backs without a low end. That would be really intriguing to me if I was Mike McCarthy. And the way they're struggling right now, if I, I wouldn't mind making that deal if I was him. Hmm. That, that would be interesting. Do you think that it, it – does the Steelers' willingness to keep Le'Veon Bell or trade Le'Veon Bell depend on, A, what they're offered in return and also what team it is? Uh, you certainly wouldn't think that uh, – not that they have necessarily a need, but anybody in the division – but maybe a contender like the the Patriots or something, somebody like that. I um, mean, you think it would almost assuredly be an NFC team since you mentioned Green Bay, and we already talked about Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why we're talking about these teams in the NFC so much. I mean, the Steelers can't uh, control who's going to sign with the Cleveland Browns or the Patriots as a free agent in March, but they can't control who he goes to now. And we all know this is a very tight um, AFC playoff race right now, and even the Browns. Um, are still in it. So I, I think if they do deal him, they wouldn't want to deal him within the conference. They know what type of player he is, even though there's a lot of dissension between the two camps now. I don't think that they, I, I think they know that if they deal them within the AFC, that he very well could, back, could come back to, to haunt them this year. And I don't think that's a, you know, a PR gamble um, that they're willing to take right now. Last thing for you, and this was brought up at the press conference, Ray, and I, I know you were able to listen to it. Um, Joe Hayden did a great job on Julio Jones. He shadowed people before, and I've asked uh, our, our listeners, um, should that be standard practice? Uh, especially, um, by the way, we just find out in case you're looking a week ahead, uh, something I, I do think it's, it's a factor, not that the Bengals would ever overlook the Browns or the Steelers, um, but they, the following week they play Cincinnati, uh, Kansas City. How am I doing? Um, at Kansas, um, <laughs> they play Kansas City, and that game now has been moved to prime time uh, on NBC next Sunday night, a week from Sunday night on the 21st. Uh, that's a big game. Not that they'll be looking past the Steelers. Um, should that be standard issue uh, against a guy like AJ Green, but maybe not against other teams necessarily? Yeah, I think if you look at Joe Hayden's history, he's always done very well against those tall, rangy receivers like Julio Jones. And he's got a history with A.J. Green dating back to their days when they competed against each other in the SEC. And also when Joe uh, was drafted by the Browns and then A.J. Um, a season later with the Bengals. So they've had a long history. A.J. Green has called Joe Hayden one of the top five corners he's ever gone against. So I would be shocked on Sunday in Cincinnati if Joe Hayden wasn't following him around but if you listen to Tomlin, I know you did, Stan, they've also done a really good job. The new offensive coordinator for the Bengals, they move him around a lot, and they'll put him in the slot. And if you noticed on Sunday, Joe played a couple of snaps against Julio Jones in the slot, but not always. So I would look for Hayden to be on him, but I would also look for the Bengals to try to get away from him as much as possible because he has kind of been a thorn in, in A.J. Green's side now for, for the better part of a decade. 
Yeah, that's a good point because that's the way they got him away from there. Um, but then again, uh, I, you know, it, it not only depends, uh, it seems to me, uh, on the receiver you're trying to deal with, but what other alternate weapons do they have? Um, you know, that's one of the key things. Yeah, they took Julio Jones out, but now you're dealing with either Sensabar, Artie Burns, and a guy like Ridley. Those guys did a good job on them too. Um, the, I don't think the Bengals have that depth but they do have Tyler Boyd, who has become, frankly, uh, you know, more than just a possession guy. Tyler Boyd is very good, Stan, but the loss of Tyler Eifert is going to be huge. First game last week against the Dolphins, they had a problem um, with that offense. It wasn't the same without him. And I think the Steelers are going to benefit from that. If you look at the map of the cross board in this game, with the injuries and everything else, I think the Steelers have um, a pretty good matchup in the Bengals. And even though it's on the way, I think this is a pretty good opportunity for the Steelers to go in there and to get another win. It's, it's five in a row. They'll be looking for six in a row. And I think if you look at the injuries in the matchup, I think the Steelers have got a pretty good shot on time. Okay. Um, interesting. Uh, although um – Joe Mixon is back, uh, which is not a good thing for the Steelers, although we're told Giovanni Bernard is going to be out two to four weeks. So, yeah. you know, you, you don't have him coming out of the backfield. One last thing, Rand, I'll let you go. Um, and I mentioned this on the show yesterday. I've mentioned on the postgame show uh, on Sunday. One of the things that interests me about the Bengals um, is that here's Sunday, um, and, you know, with the Bengals you're always waiting for that E to turn into a U, Bengal to bungle. I mean, it's just that's <laughs> what they do. Um, but here they were, they're down 17 to nothing. And not only did they come back, and I don't think the Dolphins are any good, even though they were 3-0 and at one point, but they come back down 17 nothing, and they scored two defensive touchdowns. That kind of got my attention. That is very un-Bengal-like. No, I think it's important that you mention there were two defensive touchdowns. One of them was kind of a fluke, just a ball that went up in the air, and uh, the guy caught it. The offense wasn't the same, though. Without Tyler Eifert, Andy Dalton wasn't the same quarterback. They had a problem scoring in the first half. I just like the way the Steelers, I like what they did on the defense uh, against the Falcons, Stan. One more matchup, and I know you have to go. T.J. Watt against Bobby Hart, right tackle for the Bengals. This guy was raised by the Giants. You know how bad you have to be if you're waved by the Giants. They just waved. They just waved Eric Flowers today. They they gave him before Eric Flowers for crying out loud. Maybe they want Bobby Hurt back. And look on Sunday, look at Bobby Hurt and TJ Watt. I think that's another matchup that the Steelers can definitely exploit. All right. Great stuff, Ray. Thanks very much. Great job. Always enjoy reading your stuff, uh, even if today I had to do it on the computer. I don't like that, so you tell those people. Um, I don't like a lot of things, but I do like uh, the coverage that you offer on the Steelers. Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it. Have a good trip to Cincinnati. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette. Uh, I know that the phone was a little bit scratchy there. Um, maybe I should talk softer or louder. Tom, you're the engineer. You're supposed to let me know what What's wrong here? I'm okay? All right. Um, I want to get a lot of your thoughts on the topic we brought up today. We, we brought up A.B. to Ben, Ben to A.B. Um, ben reveals that his elbow's been bothering him. And we, we remember the hit. I'm sure you remember the hit. So, okay, if indeed that's uh, what the problem has been. Um, Le'Veon Bell. We know we've talked so much about Le'Veon Bell. You know, when does it ever end? Probably never. Um but I, I just I, I think the question now we ask is not when he shows up because eventually he will. Um, I, I think the question now 
becomes how committed are the Steelers to keeping Le'Veon Bell? Because now we're getting to a point where his cost for the rest of the season will be not cheap, but would be around seven, seven and a half million, not the fourteen and a half, because of the time he's already missed. The other factor is, seems to me, the other factors are teams get injured. Eagles being a primary example of that. Now the Bengals aren't in the market, but and they wouldn't trade with the Bengals, but I'm just saying Joe Mixon was hurt. Now Bernard's hurt. You find a team that has injuries at the position, but also are floundering. They were expected to do well. They're not. They still think they can salvage the season. You bring he's a factor. I mean, he he's a positive factor as a player. All those things considered, that widens the trade market. It makes it more possible. But the question is, now that they see what they've got in James Conner, and I know injuries always a pro- injury issues are a constant. That's always a consideration. But I, I don't think you can live your life like that. You can't you can't plan on them. You don't know. The only thing you plan on is that you know they're going to happen. Now you got two number one running backs. Or they say, hey, we never expected to get anything for him. At most, we were expecting to get a three. Now maybe we do better than that. We'll do fine with James Conner. We'll find other ways to win games. Just a thought. 412-922-2874, pound 970. Email, tweet, do whatever you'd like. Facebook, it's Savernon Sports Broadcasting today from the Steelers facility on the south side. It is Savernon Sports, and you're home of the Steelers, ESPN Pittsburgh. The Savern on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. I think we, we emphasize really big on just making sure the communication on who's coming in, who's coming out, uh, personnel, um, checks, calls, and everything. So everybody was echoing SD, uh, Terrell, um, everybody in the back end was helping all the linebackers. So it just we just were echoing calls and everybody was on the same page. It was no, no bus. That is Joe Hayden, and we'll see if he shadows A.J. Green. Maybe not the extent that he did with Julio Jones, but interesting. And it's nice to have a guy like that, a shutdown corner. Uh, it enables you to do some other things in your secondary. Jason points out, he says, I believe the Eagles do have two number twos next year. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think there are a couple different opinions. Some people think that the Steelers are looking to move him. Uh, Justin tweets, I think that ship has sailed. If they get something decent, they'll definitely trade him. Other people think they're going to keep him now. That's my inclination as to what I think they'll do because I think that they want to maximize the position and how many times we've seen the last three, four years. Um, Even to the point where, you know, Bell was out and and D'Angelo Williams did a great job, then he got hurt in the playoffs. So having the both of them would make you better, and then whatever happens next year happens. You take your third-round pick, and you're happy with it. In other words, are you going to sacrifice the offense this year because you get a third instead of a second, or a second instead of a third? 412-922-2874, pound 970. The champion in Penn Hills joins us now. Hello, champ. Hey, Stan. How are you, my friend? I'm well. Thank you. 
I, I wanted to deliver this my opinion to you as opposed to all the other talk shows because I know that you and I are literally old school. So I think you'll <laughs> yeah. appreciate my position. Uh, I'm 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 one of the people that, and I'm in the minority to be sure because I know all the politics and circumstances regarding re-signing Le'Veon Bell. But I'm one of the few people that believe don't let the door hit you. I, I am old school. I believe that there's no I in team. I, I believe that it could have been handled better on both sides, but clearly could have been handled better on his side. He was the determining factor. I believe in James Conner. I think he has the Rocky Blyer thing in him, overcome adversity at all costs, do whatever it takes to be a winner. I love Conner. And, and I would remind people that may not be aware that the greatest college running back, in my opinion, in the history of college football is Tony Dorsett. The number two guy in pit history is not Shady McCoy. It's not Curtis Martin. It's not Elliot Walker. The number two guy in pit history is James Conner. This guy's a winner. And I believe in him. I think he's given evidence that if there's a hole, he can get through it. There was no hole in Baltimore. Jim Brown couldn't have run against Baltimore. Yeah. You give the guy a hole, he gave evidence that he can get through it. I don't mind seeing uh, Le'Veon Bell hit the road, nothing personal. And I think it's the Rooney way, in my personal opinion, in the back of some Rooney's mind, let's, uh, let's say goodbye and send a message. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of times they will do stuff, even in terms of the contracts, that they are willing or not willing uh, to give a player, how it affects the rest of the locker room. In other words, you set up a pay scale, and if you abuse that pay scale, uh, it sends ripple effects throughout the rest of the locker room. Um, I don't think there's really a scenario in which you would see Le'Veon Bell back here uh, next year. But I think, you know, going into the season and operating under the assumption that he was going to be here week one, um, they think that they were all in on a Super Bowl this year. I don't think there's any question that they are a better team with Le'Veon Bell. That's not a negative reflection on James Conner. Agreed. And, and, you know, James, uh, as I mentioned in the postgame show, showed me some niftiness in the open field that, frankly, I'd never seen from him before, uh, causing people to miss. I think he caused, like, 22 missed tackles. That, that, you know, he's not just a – most people had him pegged as a one-cut downhill guy, which he was in college and, frankly, was last year. I don't know if it's because he's stronger this year. I don't know if it's because he's lost some weight, but he's better in the open field. All that being said, Le'Veon Bell is a better back. Le'Veon Bell is unique. Le'Veon Bell's the best back in the NFL. Put all the other crap aside. Um, yeah, agreed. And the effect but, that he has, as someone tweeted um, after the Baltimore game, yeah, there's an effect with him in the running game, but Le'Veon Bell's absence may have hurt them in the passing game just because of what he represents and the problems he presents opposing defensive coordinators because you're, in essence, dealing with another wide receiver. So, but it, but isn't Connor starting to come on a little bit as that as a little bit of a threat as a receiver? Uh, and, somewhat, and, and, but you know what? You know what, Bill? Yeah, he's not, not Le'Veon. He's not Le'Veon. No, the, I mean, you I know, think. I mean, look, James Connor can catch the ball, and then I, I'm afraid I'm out of time here. James Connor can catch the ball, but not that there's anything wrong with this. You know, he had two really nice receptions, but most of them are going to be on checkdowns. They're going to be on screens. He's not the down the field, and I don't mean, you know, 40 yards downfield, but he's not, you know, a 15 to 20 yard down the field type receiver like Bell is. And again, that's not a knock on Connor. It's just stating a fact that Le'Veon Bell is unique among all running backs. 
even the, the Gurleys, even the Elliots, there are no running backs like Le'Veon Bell. I mean, that's just a fact. Thank you, champion, I guess. Yeah, click, click means goodbye. Uh, or we've had enough, shut up. 